0: for another Waxing Lyrically. This is your announcer, Kurt Schneider, inviting you to find your seat, silence your cell phone, and join us on this journey into the actor's mind. From the Waxing Lyrically studios located inside the beautiful Brownwood Lyric Theater, please welcome your host for today, Paul Underwood.
1: Hello again and welcome to Waxing Lyrically. This is your host, Paul Underwood, and I'm going to be playing the role of traffic cop for this one as we celebrate 3,000 downloads. I figured this was the best time to kind of do a retrospective show and go back and hit you with my best shots, as it were, of my top 20 moments from the podcast that has really succeeded beyond our wildest expectations. We've started this podcast back in July of 2020, and in that time I've had pretty extensive profiles of 18 lyric players, and I haven't done all the interviews. We've had Chris Henry serve as host, we've had Karen Myers serve as host, along with my wife Jill, and also Val Nelson set in the hot seat as she did one of the interviews as well. In addition to those profiles, Waxing Lyrically was on hand for four of the show opening nights we did a christmas story we were there for clue rumors and mama mia we also interviewed a good number of the cast of get smart and we even did two cast reveals where yeah if you audition for a show you had to listen to the podcast to see what part you got if you got a part And I think we kind of kept a lot of people in suspense on those for perhaps a little longer than they could handle. Now, for these top 20 moments that I've chosen, I've kept them pretty short in length. And I did that for two reasons. One, I want this to be kind of a snappy show. You know, we're getting through 20 of these. And two, I want to whet your appetite. Maybe you missed one of these episodes and... I just want to play little snippets that will maybe encourage you to go back and, ooh, I didn't listen to that one. I'm going to have to go back and catch that one. So that's what we're going to do today here on Waxing Lyrically. I'll be your traffic cop here. Just in for introductions. And without any further ado, I think I say that phrase on just about every podcast. Well, with, without further ado, number 20, we go back to my very first profile, and that was with Matthew McNeese. Now, Matthew basically took the entire year off from shows this year, and I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to see Matthew McNeese back in another show at The Lyric. Hopefully, he'll be in a couple or three for the 2022 season. Well, this one's fairly short. I had Matt on, and I tried to draw a parallel between his day job, which is a respected professor at the Douglas MacArthur Academy of Freedom, and his work on the lyric stage. And that's when Matt hit me with a pretty doggone good impression of one of our
2: former presidents. 20, uh, if I'm in a... a, class that calls for it I can lapse into a little bit of a Bill Clinton but usually I'll just try and throw it in you know just just for a, just for a word or two yeah uh, just just for a couple things and then we'll move back on to something else because if you overuse it you know it's, it's not really funny but um, if you if you drop it in at the right time I did not say that <laughs> the way you thought I did and then you move on it's it's a little bit funnier
1: you just kind of that that hit and run humor oh I love it Next, we venture into one of those shows that I did not host. I turned it over to the very capable Chris Henry to interview Larry Mathis. And Chris made an interesting point that Larry seemed to get top cast as a character having a certain feature about him. And Chris, I might add that you also left out he had that same malady in... A Wonderful Life, the radio play. Here's Chris talking about some similarities in the roles that Larry played when he actually acts on stage. Number 19.
3: Well, I remember that you were in three shows, Love Rides the Rails, Moon Over Buffalo, and Last Night at Ballyhoo. And your character became, well, a little tipsy. It was almost like you were being typecast and yet you don't partake like that. Um, would you give us a little impromptu sample of that type of character? Well,
1: yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll be glad to. And you're right. Uh, that's that's really kind of interesting that those three shows that I landed as a character that that does enjoy his libations when I actually am not a a, a I just don't drink at all and there's just a whole variety of reasons for that but anyway so yeah it was it was kind of interesting to play those characters and i say that i, I just you know sometimes things just don't work out the way they are the way, way they ought to you know
3: <laughs> oh thank you so much
1: now let's move along to my 18th favorite moment in waxing lyrically now you know if you listen to many of these podcasts on my profile episodes We do what's called a dramatic reading. Now, that can be a soliloquy just performed by the guest. It can be a back and forth to where I'll read a part and my guest will read a part. Or sometimes it can just be fun. And that's what it was when I had Shannon Lee on. And one of her favorite parts that she's ever played was Mary Poppins. So, listen along as Bert the Chimney Sweep and Mary Poppins tackle that tongue twister of a song.
4: it's expialidocious! Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious Super califragilistic
5: I'm I'm little, 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 delay Um, I'm little, little, um, I'm delay little, 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 delay I'm little, I'm little,
1: um, delay Well, cause I was afraid to speak when I was just a lad My father gave me nose a tweak and told me I was bad But then one day I learned a word that saved me aching nose
6: The biggest word you ever heard, and this is how
1: it goes. So supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious, if you say it loud enough you'll always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Humberlittle-little-little-lie, Under the little lie humberlittle is, yours. is <laughs> gent. When dukes and grandmas pass some time with me, I'll say a special word in the after them. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious! I
7: do even know
1: the sound of it is something <laughs> It's something quite, quite atrocious. Quite <laughs> atrocious. You can can say it loud It's you precocious.
5: always Something, precocious. something, 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 something,
4: say it backwards, which is docious L-A-X-P, it's fragile rupus, but that's going a bit too far, don't you think? To dismay to dismay, just summon up this word and then you've got a lot to say. But better use it carefully. That's you.
1: For example, one night mm-hmm. you said to me girl and now me girl's my wife. Oh. Oh, and a lovely thing she is too. She <laughs>
7: Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious
8: Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious
2: Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious
1: Supercalifragilistic <laughs> Oh, mercy. We
2: tried.
1: Valerie Nelson really did a terrific job on her interview with Jonathan Harvey. In this clip you're about to hear, Jonathan harkens back to his very first lyric show, which happened to be my very first lyric show as well. And yeah, there was quite a bit of cutting up on stage.
0: 17. And I distinctly remember it was a lot of fun because um, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, um, when everybody in the tavern's about to sing Lahayam, everybody freezes so Tevye can have a nice little talk to himself. And I remember distinctly Paul had taped a picture of Shrek in the bottom of my beer glass (laughs) and I would freeze right as I'm taking a drink every night. And he knew that. And so the one night I pulled my glass up and I looked down and there's a picture of Shrek at the end and I'm trying not to laugh. I'm I'm supposed to be frozen Um, and I distinctly remember that it was a lot of fun uh, doing that show. But that was my first go around with the lyric.
1: Now for our next clip, you're gonna hear a soliloquy and it's from my youngest profile. I really hope you got a chance to see Grease this summer on the Lyric Stage. And if you did, you no doubt fell in love with Carly Richardson, who played the part of Sandy. Carly and I sat down, and we had a great talk. You'll hear later more of the interview on this show. But here's the dramatic reading, and it comes from one of Carly's favorite roles, and that is of Maria in The Sound of Music. Listen to the emotion in Carly's voice as she is urging Captain Von Trapp to realize what a treasure he has in his children. It's number 16.
6: Liesel isn't a child anymore, and if you keep treating her as one, Captain, you're going to have a mutiny on your hands. And Friedrich. Friedrich's afraid to be himself. He's, he's shy. He's aloof. He, he needs you. He needs your confidence. Brigitte could tell you about him. She could tell you a lot more if you got to know her, because she notices things, and she always tells the truth, especially when you don't want to hear it. Kurt is sensitive. He's easily hurt, and you ignore him. You brush him aside the way you do all of them. Louisa wants to have a good time. You've just got to let her have a good time. Marta, I don't know about yet, but someone has got to find out about her. And little Gretel just wants to be loved. Oh, please, Captain, love Gretel. Love all of them. They need you.
1: Now, for our next clip, I put this in kind of selfishly. Well, I don't care. I'm really proud of my work in A Wonderful Life, the radio play. My post-production work, where I took the play and then added sound effects to it, And we've played it on the radio and it's also available on podcast that you really need to listen to around the holidays if you haven't. Well, I was able to weave a little bit of that actual show into this discussion that Jill Underwood and Karen Myers were having as Karen was describing kind of the difficulties in the role of Mary Hatch.
0: 15.
7: So which out of all the parts you played in the lyric was the hardest one to get into Mm. the role? Hardest one to get into? It was probably Mary Hatch, because she is a very reserved character she's solid steady eddy throughout the whole relationship and she's um she's just more conservative with her feelings whereas george bailey is the i'm out there and i'm passionate and this is how i feel about things and so in real life I'm more of a George Bailey. So to have to rein that in Yeah, you're not very introverted, are you? No, I'm not, not very intro No, no, no. <laughs> so <laughs> so it was it was a challenging character to get to play. She was fun nonetheless because she did have her moments of passions during the flashback scene. Mm-hmm. Or Flash, anyway, where he goes back to what life would have been like. Without him, yes. Without him. And so... Because uh, you,
8: you get kind of mad at him because he's kind of stalking, stalking you. And, and, I don't and know you don't know who he is. And yeah.
7: he's telling me we have kids. And I know. <laughs> you took that really good. <laughs> Thanks.
2: <laughs> now look, Mary Hatch, you, you live on Reed Street. It's a white Victorian house. Your bedroom's at the top of the stairs. You turn to the left. You have an older brother named Marty, and you live with your mother, Edwina.
7: How do you know all this? What are you, some crazy man? Stop it, I'm leaving. Don't
2: you know me, Mary? Now look, just let me touch her. Get your her. hands off me, I'll call her. The off. house you wished for, don't you remember? I told you, I don't know you. Don't let you know me, you I'm must know sorry. me, Mary. Now it's George, don't let you know me? me, me. Mary, please, don't do this to me. Please, Mary, now where are our kids? What? I need you, Mary, please, help Get me, Mary. Get away
9: from me, help. Mary, is
2: George. Please. please, Mary, you're my wife. <laughs> So I got to
7: embrace a little bit of me in that character at that moment. But for the most part, she was probably my hardest one because I have to convey all of that emotion, but do it in such a understated
1: way. Nicholas Ewing was my guest right before Rumors took the stage. And of course, Nick is in charge of the Howard Payne Theater Department. And he was another great guest. We spent a lot of time talking about his obsession with X-Wing, you know, that Star Wars game. Well, if you're a geek, you know what I'm talking about. But. And then Nick told me about his time at Texas Tech, where he wasn't on stage that much in the tech theater department, but he did a lot of backstage work. He even got involved in kind of being the point man when other acts or touring groups would come into Lubbock. And I asked him about any brushes with fame he might have had during that time in Lubbock. And he had two
2: that were really kind of funny. So here's Nick. So when I was in college, one of the biggest hits uh, that was like going around was Stomp. Yeah. You remember Stomp? Oh yeah. I don't know if they're still out there, but Stomp they had a we had this VHS that was making the rounds around the dorms, mm-hmm. and I was Jennings guy, so you know, we were like watching this Stomp, and it was just so awesome because it's performance art, but it's music, so it's almost like a mixture of like drum line, and it's just they really like beat cool. on trash cans oh, yeah. and stuff. So you remember the trash can one? Oh yeah. They had all these different like scenarios uh-huh. of setting up these just bashing on stuff to make these awesome just sick beats um and the trash can one do you remember there's a moment about like three quarters of the way through where this like five foot tall african-american woman comes out with this huge 50 gallon plastic drum she's just wailing on it with a sledgehammer. (laughs) And I love that part. That was like my favorite part. So I was working backstage stomp. I was running lines. So I was running the the, uh, counterweight system up and down stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I was standing back there just watching the show. I'm loving it. And I look and standing right next to me is this woman from like that I had seen like four years ago on a VHS tape. (laughs) And she's got the trash can. (laughs) I'm like, oh, she's right next to me. I was like, oh, my gosh. She looks at me. She's like, watch this. And she, she literally says this. And then she walks on stage and just starts. to, doof, 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 doof. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was her. That was that. So that was cool. I'm going to have to find the audio of that, and we'll intersperse that. <laughs> Stomp, that. yes. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, Charlie Daniels <laughs> told me to shut the light off of his face. I was doing follow spot for Charlie Daniels, and, and you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm loving this because I have the perfect. I done told you once you, you
1: t- get that yes, spotlight spot
2: off. off my face. He literally was like, shut that thing off. I want to see my fans. So I shut it off and just enjoyed the rest of the show. So I got yelled at by Charlie Daniels. There you go. There's... I don't think he knows my name. Maybe he does now.
1: See, most people would have <laughs> led with the Charlie Daniels. Charlie Daniels one? But but not Nick. He I leads, forgot about that one. He leads with the Stomp. five-foot-two yeah. black yeah. woman with the sledgehammer and the dress <laughs> key. That was awesome. That was a bigger yeah. moment for you yeah. than Charlie Daniels. I,
2: and I never introduced myself. Dadgummit. No, I know. It's just like, hey, I'm Nick. We move
1: along to number 13 as we count down my top 20 favorite little moments of doing Waxing Lyrically, which now has over 3,000 downloads. Now, for this clip, we go to my most recent interview, and that was with Darlene Irvin. And Darlene has had so much experience in directing shows, in judging shows for UIL competition, and we're really fortunate that she is going to be a director now at The Lyric as she's directing You Can't Take It With You, which takes the stage September 24th. Well, Darlene and I got into a discussion about maybe some things that went wrong in some plays that she's seen or directed. Well, Darlene, being the positive person that she is, framed the discussion a different way. And it really was quite poignant.
10: But let me tell you one thing I saw on stage, and I think you'll appreciate this. Okay. okay? Have you ever seen anybody's life changed on stage? I mean, you saw their life change. No. Well, I did. I've wow. seen it lots of times with my in the past with students and working in community theater. Mm. But... Um, I had a kid on stage, and he was a little reticent. 'cause he'd never been on stage before, but he really wanted to be on stage. And so I went ahead and cast him and I knew he wasn't real comfortable, but I knew he really wanted to be there. So I gave him a comic part that was just a couple of lines. And he really didn't have to do anything except walk on stage, act like he was a, a mayor, and then he would his the wife was a nagging wife and it was a melodrama thing. And she would come on and say something to him and drag him off. You know yeah, yeah. So the whole time we rehearsed I thought, is he gonna do it or is he not going to do it? You know, you don't know. Yeah. He'll either come through or he won't. Right. So the opening night came about and it got to that part of the play and I'm standing at the back like Nancy Joe does here mm-hmm. or like Caitlin does here or like mm-hmm. Shannon does here. You stand at the back and you just watch because it's out of your hands. You're helpless. He came out on stage and he said his line and they laughed. It was a funny line. Mm-hmm. And the audience laughed. And you could see this transformation. <laughs> And all of a sudden he was hysterical and he puts this face on, she grabs his ear and he, he growls and ouches and she drags him off stage. He was a big hit. (laughs) Well, from that day on, he was in every show I ever did for the next three years and ended up being a musical theater major at West Texas State. And now he's a professional actor.
1: That's amazing. But
10: it's because that moment, I know the moment he became an actor and did what he did. And that was one of the most beautiful things to see.
1: My next favorite moment from the Waxing Lyrically podcast was when I had Alisa Hinton on as a guest. Now, Alisa is so great in every show she's been in. She was fantastic, along with my wife as a pigeon sister in The Odd Couple. Oh, and if you saw her in Rumors, you no doubt saw the skills that she has as an actress. Alisa had one request before she would agree to the interview, and that was... You gotta make me a drink. Okay, it was like a Thursday night, and we were both ready to unwind a little bit, and it really made for a fantastic conversation. Listen as Alisa talks about the moment that kind of changed her lyric life, the first time she decided to audition for a show. Twelve.
9: The first time I came to the lyric and saw a show, my thought was, I wish I could be up there. Yeah. And that was back in maybe 2005 or 6. I
1: wonder how many people get that same feeling and I would
9: act. think a lot. Yeah. Six. And and I didn't act on it. For a lot. I put my kids in it, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. so yeah, but that opportunity came and I I went to Nancy Joe after auditions were over. They were going to have them the next day and I was trying to build up my nerve. And I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe I could try out. And she was like, oh yeah, look how colorful you are. You know, and she was just, you know, how she is. And she was just like, look at you. And so, um, she said, just bring in a song. And so I didn't have sheet music. I'd never auditioned for anything ever. And so I got up on the stage. I came back the next day. She said, you need to come back. Yeah. So I came back the next day. And I sang um, Mary Poppins' Spoonful of Sugar, a yeah. cappella.
1: <laughs> uh, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Here is Elisa Hinton with Spoonful of Sugar. Okay, hit it. Let's go.
9: Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in the most delightful way.
1: Yeah, I'd cast you. I'd cast you. Sure. Be in, so I got. Be in the musical.
9: I was in the musical. I got to wear an awesome costume. I only had one word. Yeah. And it was Wonderful! It was exactly that was your one what word. I, wonderful. Pity.
1: Oh, pity was your one
9: pity, word. and it was a very difficult word because apparently peas don't come across. And she Nancy Joe kept oh, saying yeah. louder, and I had a mic and everything. I was like, one word. All I have to do is say pity, and they still can't hear me. <laughs> so
1: it's always one of my favorite interview questions, and you know, you, you never want to know about when shows go perfectly, right? You always want to know about when things go wrong, those stage mishaps. So I had Val Nelson on my second Waxing Lyrically show, and Val and I got into a little discussion about when things didn't go exactly as planned. 11. So there was one performance in A Few Good Men, and you come up to the desk there, to, to my right, and I've got a phone there on the desk, and you knocked the phone off the hook, oh. <laughs> and it falls on the floor. You remember?
8: I vaguely remember. Oh, my gosh.
1: And I think I had the next line, and I freaked. I didn't know what to say. And then I thought about it, and I went home, and I was stewing. I thought, well, you know, we ruined the illusion in the scene. And all I had to say was, whoa, somebody's had a little too much caffeine or something just briefly like that. Oh, you I always wish I would have said that. But then what that does is that could throw off the next line or whatever.
8: It's it's a delicate thing because I mean I I've been in where I've you know flubbed a line or forgotten I think that happened with um, Matthew McNeese in *A Few Good Men*. I think there was a part where if one night I just my brain just wasn't working. Well, it, it's not
1: like you didn't have you know a lot of no lines, lines there, but, anyways.
8: Yeah, but I think you know he covered for it. But then of course you know as an actor you go and like you did. I was like psychoanalyzing it the whole next day or two. It's like no, oh. I could have I, said no. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, I forgot a line, but you're not supposed to just stand there not saying anything. And yeah. I could have said something. And I could have said this. And
1: so when I think back to A Few Good Men, I always kind of think about this. Darn it, I wish I would have been quick enough on stage to just say a little cover line there. But
8: Can I talk about one? Oh, there's this. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so I mentioned Pocket Sandwich Theater uh-huh. in Dallas. Yeah. Um, that's where I did the most shows over the last 10 years before, you know, well, Six years before I moved here, but um, they did melodramas. Okay. And it was, you could, the audience could throw popcorn at the actors. We're talking
1: about like villains and heroines and tying people to the train track. And they
8: encouraged the audience to cheer the hero and boo the villain. So hooray for the hero. Holding up the the signs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We didn't have signs, but the audience was encouraged to participate. So they were all scripted shows. Yeah. It wasn't improv, but. Sometimes you did improv a little bit because the audience is sitting like a lot of times the audience really liked to get the popcorn down your <laughs> top, um, and the costumers would <clears throat> make appropriate costumes so the audience could do that. Give them a target to yeah, shoot for. Yeah, give it a target to shoot for. Them. But um, there was this one show, "Oh, Brother Werewolf, Art Thou?" <laughs> and I was <laughs> I was in a swamp boat with the werewolf guy who was kind of my love interest but we hadn't you know done anything yeah and this little girl you know we're getting to a part where it's kind of serious in the script and this little girl says just kiss him (laughs) (laughs) and I think back and I wish I would have turned to her and just said but that's not in the script. <laughs> but I remember just everybody in the audience just cracking up yeah. and I just kind of like actually looked at the little child cuz she was so adorable. Right. And people, we just got started getting pummeled
1: with popcorn. So. <laughs>
8: <laughs> anyway.
1: So you always think of that like after the fact. You think,
8: exactly. Such a good you always you, know, I
1: know. you always I mean
8: sometimes you can roll with it and it comes really quick and that's You know, improv experience will help you with that. but
1: Improv, certainly. Just being comfortable on stage. Yeah. Yeah. We're now into my top 10 favorite moments here. And this one, we go back to a dramatic reading. And it was time for yours truly to be a little intimidated because I got to read with Dr. Nancy Jo Humfeld. She chose for the dramatic reading a play that's one of her favorites called Laundry and Bourbon. There was one catch I had to read as a woman. Now, I might also add these dramatic readings. There's no rehearsing. We just go into it cold. The only thing I really had to go on was, it's Southern. And if anybody can do Southern, it's yours truly. But as a woman? (laughs) Top
5: 10 I've known you all my life. I know you need a marriage and you want a family. Am I right? Yes. Then wake up. You can't leave the important things in life like marriage and children up to the menfolk. If they had their way, they'd just stick to their football and their fishing and their Thunderbirds and just be boys forever. Now, if Roy straightens up, that's one thing. If not, well, you got a decision to make.
1: Maybe it's already been made for me.
5: What do you mean? Nothing, Hattie. Forget I said that. Don't tell me it's nothing. Oh, You're pregnant, aren't you? Yeah... I knew it. I knew it the minute I walked in here today. Oh, Lisbeth, that's wonderful. What's wonderful about it? It comes at the worst possible time. Wrong. It comes at the best possible time. Well, don't you see? This might be just a thing to make Roy straighten up and fly right. And if it doesn't? Well, then, to heck with him. I guess. Oh, I guess you're right. Oh, honey, let me give you a hug. That That's the smartest thing you ever did. What do you mean? Getting pregnant, of course. Hattie, I didn't get myself pregnant on
1: purpose. I didn't plan it this way. Are you sure? Yes. Yes, I'm sure. I don't know if Roy can take this right
5: now. He doesn't know what he's doing himself. Well, that's not your problem. It's ever bit my problem. It couldn't be any more my problem. I didn't mean to get y'all upset. I just meant that... I know, Hattie, I know. I just just don't want to talk about it anymore. Oh, well, sure. Sure. Uh, Say, mind if I use your phone? (laughs) Of course. Figure I better check on the kids. No telling what devilment they've gotten up to. Everything's going to turn out fine. You'll see. If you were fortunate
1: enough to see Rumors or The Odd Couple on the lyric stage you no doubt have an appreciation for the playwright Neil Simon. Such great words. I was very fortunate to be in The Odd Couple, uh, but a very difficult show because the lines just come fast and furious and there's no prompting. Your line could be something totally unrelated to the line right before yours. And at any rate, it's just a different show. And that's what makes them so great. Well, when I sat down with Chris Henry, and Jimmy was there too, but you know, Jimmy's more of a behind the scenes guy. Well, Chris and I talked about The Odd Couple and that one performance to where Chris, as the stage manager, saved our butts. Nine.
3: There was one moment in um, Odd Couple. They were going along with the dialogue and, and I follow it in the script as we go. And I realized that they've skipped a whole section. I'm, we're talking three <laughs> or four pages of dialogue. Oh, no. And it was seamless. But all of a sudden, I'm flipping through my book, and I'm listening to lights and sound going, uh-oh, they're off script. Where are we? What page? Where are we? Oh, no, oh okay, we're on this page. And Anyway, we get through that part, and I realize that Ben Cox, the lead actor, is getting ready to pick back up on the dialogue that he actually just said about five minutes ago. Oh no. And I'm like, Oh no, I can't let them get into the same. I mean, they've already done the dialogue. Um, so I made the phone ring <laughs> and, um, so <laughs> to get him back on track ring and the phone, ring the phone, yeah. because you had
1: to call that yes, out. And did I it did. The back. Yeah. That's
3: right. And, um, it's and not like you
1: dialed the number. Yeah, anything.
3: no. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm, I, I told sound to do the phone and, um, you know, everybody on stage kind of perks up like the phone doesn't ring here. <laughs> um, and Ben Cox kind of shifts over just enough to give me an eye on the side of the stage about what are you doing? That's not supposed to be here. Yeah, And I'm like, it's okay. And I, I'm sure he probably couldn't see me. Right. But anyway, and then all of a sudden it dawns on him that we were getting ready to repeat the scene we had just done and so he um, he gets up and walks across and answers the phone and goes on to the next section in the script and after they finished the scene and, and we got to the intermission he came off the stage first thing and was just like you saved us <laughs> oh my gosh I didn't know why you made the phone ring but if you had not rung the phone yeah. we would have done the scene twice oh. in succession. Okay. You saved us. Um, and I was like, yep, I know what I'm doing. Uh, now that's only because I'd had several minutes to think about it and get past the crisis. Wow, that is the that stage so. manager at
1: work. I can tell you, I was in that show and Neil Simon's writing is brilliant, but that was such a difficult show to act in. It really challenged, you know, you know me, I'm a, I'm a rookie amongst my heroes up there for the most part. But that show was so challenging to make it conversational, mm-hmm. and there's just these rapid-fire lines. We're all sitting around playing poker, and it was so easy to get thrown off track on that thing. Very much so. Moving right along, we get to my eighth—I think it's my eighth—yeah, my eighth favorite moment here in Waxing Lyrically. And this one is the short one. It's with one of my favorite people, Levi Packer. Now, Levi was a guest on my show, along with Candace Harris and Ryan McCormick, right before Clue. Now, if you've had a chance to see Levi on stage, oh my gosh, what a treat. He was so great as Professor Plum in Clue. And then, again, his comedic timing in Rumors is, I just can't see anybody else playing that part any better than Levi did. Levi spent 20 years, I believe, out in L.A. in the acting business, and it wasn't all easy. We talked about the struggles, and, you know, he had some successes. He was in some CSIs and a few other minor roles in television. But the thing that got his family most excited, well, I'll let
2: Levi tell the story. About a year before I moved back to Brownwood, I was in a national Chevrolet commercial. Wow. Which— was the only thing, you know, out of CSI, out of everything that I did, the only thing my family was proud of because (laughs) – They are Chevy people. They hate Ford. If I were in a Ford commercial, they would have disowned me. Yeah, yeah, it it would have been over. Who who cares how much money you made? But uh, yeah, I I landed a Chevy commercial. And was it
1: one of those where the 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 smarmy guy was up there and you were like, he was saying, "Guess which car leads the, uh, you know, the J.D. Power
2: or whatever." It was similar. Uh, You know, I was like, "Oh, this car's awesome." Yeah. Okay. and then all of a sudden, everybody across the nation saw me, and we're like, "Oh, good job!" I'm Even sure I had I've been working for twenty I'm years. Sure I've seen that commercial, <laughs> in Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah.
1: As I continue to recount my favorite moments in waxing lyrically, I go back to my interview with Carly Richardson. Now, Carly just started Texas A&M this month, and I'm so excited for her future. Such a bright young mind, and we get into a discussion about. A real scary moment that happened to Carly early on in her life. Seven.
6: That's whenever we got the news a few weeks later that I had a myofibroblastic soft tissue sarcoma at the base of my skull down to the tip of my spine. Yeah. And it was really lucky when they caught it, actually, because he said if it had grown any bigger, Mm -hmm. it would have cut off my esophagus. Oh, my. Like, I would have just choked oh yeah yeah but you wouldn't have been able to see what was really happening yeah it's yeah. crazy
1: at seven years old you had an amazing calm really through this entire process
6: I don't want to say it's a gift to getting it that young yeah. but I think there is a plus side to it because you don't really understand yeah the so big you're able words... to just be like well it's gonna be okay yeah. like
1: but it was a, like a malignant tumor situation yes yeah but it was preventing kind of stunting your yes. growth. And After, your, your parents just thought they had two boys that well, she's a girl, she's oh, yeah. supposed to be smaller, but you weren't gaining weight no. from this thing.
6: After they took it out, I grew six inches in two months. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um you got your determination from this too. Your parents oh, yes. your parents figured out how determined oh, yeah. you were as a young girl, doctors would say that, well, she's probably not going to be able to mm-hmm. start second grade on time. Yeah. And I wanted to. <laughs> and you did, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah. That's also why I'm so involved in everything. Because it was like, well, I wasn't able to participate in a dance. I yeah. couldn't do soccer. Yeah. I couldn't play sports, like, you know, in a real sports like all the other little kids did. Yeah. But I was like, well, when I can... I'm going to. I'm going to do everything that I can.
1: Here's one of my favorite dramatic readings, and this comes from my wife Jill and Karen Myers as they do a little gender reversal on that Neil Simon hit play, The Odd Couple. Here's Jill as that slob, Oscar, and Karen as the fastidious Felix. It's number six.
7: You said you'd be home at seven. Is that what I said? That's what you said. I will be home at seven is what you said. Okay, so I said I'd be home at seven and it's eight. So what's the problem? If you knew you were going to be late, why didn't you call me? (laughs) I couldn't call you. I was busy. Too busy to pick up a phone? Where were you? Uh, I was in the office working. (laughs) Working. (laughs) Yes, working. I called your office at 7 o'clock. You were gone. I couldn't get a cab. Since when do they have cabs at Hannigan's Bar? Wait a minute. I want to get this down on the tape recorder because no one will believe me. You mean now I have to call you if I'm coming home late for dinner? Not any dinner. Just the ones I've been slaving over since 2 o'clock this afternoon to help you save money to pay your wife's alimony. Felix, this is no time to have a domestic quarrel. We've got two girls coming down any minute. You mean you told them you'd be here at 8 o'clock? Oh, I don't remember what I said. 7.30, 8 o'clock? What difference does it make? I'll tell you what difference. You told me they were coming at 7.30. You were to be here at 7 to help me with the hors d'oeuvres. At 7.30, they arrive and we have cocktails. At 8 o'clock, we have dinner. Now, it's 8 o'clock. My London broil is Finished, and if we don't eat it now, the whole darn thing will be dried out.
4: Oh, God, help me.
7: Never mind helping you. Tell him to save the meat, because we've got $9.34 worth drying up in there right now. Can't you keep it warm? What do you think I am, the magic chef? I'm lucky I got it to come out at 8 o'clock. What am I going to do? Oh, I don't know. Keep pouring gravy on it. What gravy? Don't you have any gravy? Where in the heck do you think I'm going to get gravy at 8 o'clock? I f- thought it comes from when you cooked the meat. When you cook the meat, you don't know the first thing about what you're talking about. (laughs) You have to make gravy. It doesn't come. You ask my advice. I'm giving it to you. Advice? You didn't know where the kitchen was till I came in here and showed you. You want to talk to me? Put down that spoon. Spoon? You dumb ignoramus. It's a ladle. Don't you even know what a ladle is? All right, Felix. Get a hold of yourself. You think it's so easy. Go on. The kitchen's all yours. Make a London broil for four people who come half an hour late. Listen to me. I'm arguing with him over gravy. (gasps) Well, they're here. Our dinner guests we will get the saw and cut the meat. Stay where you are. I'm not taking the blame for this dinner. Who's blaming you? Who even cares about dinner? I care. I take pride in what I do. And you're going to explain to them exactly what happened. All right, you can take a Polaroid picture of me coming in at 8 o'clock. Now take off that stupid apron because I'm opening the door.
1: Scene. We now mosey into our top five moments of the podcast, and this one occurred when I sat down with Candace Harris. You'll remember Candace was so funny in Clue as Mrs. Peacock. This interview took place just before that took the stage, and it was also Larry Mathis's last directorial work, maybe ever, on the lyric stage as Larry has moved away to retire in Round Rock and Supposedly play lots of golf and not miss any of us. I don't guess what's what's up with that, Larry. You got to come back and direct another show. Well, at any rate, Candace got a little emotional when she talked about her high school theater director. Here's Candice. Top five. That's pretty unique, you know. Yeah. This is an audio podcast, but I could see it in your eyes and your in your little pause there that you paused a little bit in, in talking about. Larry, mm-hmm. and I had, you know, I had Shannon on, uh, you know, a podcast, and and she gets emotional, too, when she <laughs> talks about Larry. So what is it about Larry, the director, that, uh, that made you want to be a part of this, supposedly his final show at the Lyric? Um, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, Larry Mathis.
5: Larry, and, you know, you're going to make me emotional just <laughs> kind of talking about it, but not only did he see something in me as a, you know, a young person, but... He was the example to me early in life of a really strong, um, positive male figure. Yeah. And
1: uh, yeah.
5: there's a lot of things
1: right. that
5: um, I value about that man. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but as a director, I love working with his energy. He's just very... Um, He's like an organic director, so yeah. he's like, Let's just play with that. Let's have fun. Let's see what happens, you know? Yeah. And I appreciate that energy, you know, and um I wanna be you know, I wanna be a part of anything that he does. Yeah,
1: yeah. Know? Larry, if you've never been directed by Larry, he'll he'll throw out some <laughs> some wacky cuckoo ideas and you think about it but usually i would say he's probably bats about 70 percent of them are like yeah i like yeah. that and there's some like I, no no that didn't work that didn't yeah. work we'll do it this other way now let's get it back to a little levity here and i'm going to take it back to that interview with Elisa hinton and her choice of a dramatic reading which really caught me by surprise now We were a good one and a half whiskey sours in at this point, and she floored me with her take of a popular 80s song. And the way she chose to read it so dramatically, well, just listen for yourself. This is pure gold. Four.
9: You know, I heard Jonathan Harvey and I mean, oh, wasn't just, that
1: great? Oh, oh. Just
9: amazing. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, the pressure is on. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on something that was a little more relevant. So I picked a piece. It deals with um, aging. Um, oh. It deals with uh, lost dreams of youth, um, a dying middle America.
1: Okay. Yeah. I like it. Yeah.
9: So, um, I will be doing a dramatic reading of Jack and Diane by Jonathan Mellencamp.
1: I can't wait.
9: A little ditty about Jack, Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jack, he's going to be a football star. Diane debutante backseat of Jackie's car. <laughs> Sucking on a chilly dog outside the tasty freeze. Diane is sitting on Jackie's lap. Got his hands between her knees. Jack says, hey, Diane, let's run off to the city. Diane says, Jack, you ain't missing nothing. Oh, yeah, life goes on. Long after the thrill of living is gone. Oh, yes, life goes on. Long after the thrill of living is gone. They walk on.
1: Jennifer Reeves is the consummate lyric player. She doesn't shy away and quit when she gets small parts see Wizard of Oz and Clue as an example and she shines when the spotlight is thrust upon her. And she is the lead as Liza Doolittle in My Fair Lady or Maria in Sound of Music or Dora Lee in 9 to 5. Listen to her rapid fire impersonations of her characters here as Karen quizzes her on the dialects on some of her more memorable roles. Three.
11: Larry actually called me and, and mentioned and say, hey, you know, you should think about auditioning and you know, I could see you um possibly playing granny, give it a try. And and my first thought was, um, I really didn't. I mean, I remember seeing reruns as a kid and mm-hmm. but you know, as a kid I'm thinking, oh, she's way old and he said, Well, no, actually that that um actress was younger okay, you know, then I think she's what, she's supposed to be eighty. I think she was actually sixty. Okay. Now when he said that I didn't know if I took that as a good a compliment. compliment. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not 60,
4: <laughs> but makeup, whatever. <laughs>
11: <makeup>. <laughs> oh, that makeup story. That's a whole nother, that's a funny story too. Another show. Yes. Another, another podcast. But anyway, um, that was a much harder role than I anticipated, mm-hmm. but a blast.
7: Oh, a yeah. blast. Well, and Granny doesn't sing anything. Right. And I assume that if she did, if her character did have a song, it would be rather cacophonous. It, <laughs> it probably would, but it'd probably be a blast, right? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Can you do Granny for us real fast? I can. Okay. So,
11: Granny, this is one of one of my favorites. Like I said, this is one of my harder lines. Let's see. Doggone, I don't feel like fishing or figuring anymore. That boy's girl crazy. And it's you that I'll reap the harvest when the seeds of temptation is trampled by the little foxes. Because as the rod is spared, so is the twig bent. And then that dances has got to pay for casting the first stone. <laughs> all the mixed metaphors. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> that was the hardest, by the way, paragraph to memorize. I can't by the way. Imagine I why. literally <laughs> recorded it and would listen to it on the way driving all the time.
7: Oh, my goodness. Tell us about Bonnie and Anything Goes.
11: Mooney, where's Reno Sweeney. Yeah,
7: There's
11: that one <laughs> that was
7: amazing that was fun what was your accent for um Dora nine to five, nine okay, to five. yes
11: yes okay so that was just another texas country not texas i guess country whatever mix um and i swear if you say one more thing about me i'm gonna take this gun of mine and i'm gonna turn you from a rooster to a hen in one shot yes yes that's a power woman line love it (laughs) okay who else eliza for my fair lady let's hear eliza oh look where you're going dearie look where you're going that was a good one that was a fun show
7: what else do you have any other ones um
11: of course and then eliza turned proper oh that was always nice and her her awkward proper when she first went to the races How do you do? Because she had to do it very slowly (laughs) to get it figured out. Um, Oliver, that was similar to Eliza, and um, sound of music was just a you know more sophisticated. Or that was probably closer to me too. I think yeah, my voice. She didn't have too much. But again, without the country accent. (laughs) Without
7: the country accent.
6: I
1: hope you're enjoying this retrospective as much as I am, bringing it to you. At number two, I give you. Jonathan Harvey. Jonathan has got to be one of our most accomplished dramatic actors. For all his many works on the lyric stage, I get the feeling that we haven't scratched the surface of what Jonathan can do. Listen as Jonathan draws you into
0: Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. My God, The Cherry Orchard is mine. Tell me that I'm drunk. Tell me that I'm out of my mind that it's all a dream. Don't laugh at me. If my father and my grandfather could rise from their graves and see all that has happened, how their Yermelay, ignorant, beaten Yermelay, who used to run about barefoot in winter, how that weary Yermelay has bought the finest estate in the world. I have bought the estate where my father and grandfather were slaves, where they weren't even admitted into the kitchen. I'm asleep. I'm dreaming. It's all fancy. It is the work of your imagination plunged in the darkness of ignorance. She threw away the keys. She means to show that she's not the housewife now. (laughs) Well, no matter. Hey, musicians, play. I want to hear you. Come, all of you, and look how Yermelay Lopatkin will take the axe to the cherry orchard. How the trees will fall to the ground. We will build houses on it, and our grandsons and great-grandsons will see a new life springing up in there. Music! Play up! Why? Why didn't you listen to me, dear lady? my poor friend oh dear lady there's no turning back now oh if all this could be over oh if if our miserable disjointed life could somehow soon be changed what's that uh, musicians play up all must be as i wish it here comes the new master The owner of the Cherry Orchard. (laughs) I can pay for
1: everything. We're at the pinnacle moment. Number one. And here's where I'm going to pull a fast one on you. I couldn't decide between these two clips. So I just made them both number one. So instead of top 20, you're going to get top 21 moments. Okay? Just, yeah, get over it. Okay? Um, You'll recall back at number five, Uh, Candace Harris got emotional in talking about Larry Mathis. Well, my guest Shannon Lee also got emotional, very emotional, talking about Larry, and I really needed some Kleenex there um, when I had Shannon Lee on. Uh, But that's not the part I'm going to share with you on Shannon. It's a part about Shannon giving birth to twins, and it was not an easy ride. And she shares with me the emotions that went into welcoming Lily and Hannah into the world.
2: Number one.
4: My back was hurting real bad and my mom lived in the same apartment complex. So I went over and I said, mom, I don't feel real good. And she was like, well, you've got insurance, get in the car, go get checked out. By the time I got to the hospital, um, on, uh, that evening on November 17th, I was dilated to a five and didn't even know that I was in labor. Mm. And, um, so they told me you're going to be here until you deliver these babies. And so they gave me this stuff, like magnesium sulfate or something that tastes like you're sucking on pennies, but to try to stop the labor. And they inverted my bed, put my head down, my feet up. And at 220, Lily Elizabeth Lee came into the world. Mm. She weighed two pounds, three ounces and was 14 inches long. Wow. And then um, (laughs) there were 18 people in the room with me when I gave birth. Hmm. Because they were so early, they called cooks and had what are called the teddy bear crew that came to pick them up. And so there were two sets of crews. So there were Uh, four people per baby. So there were eight of them that flew in on a jet. And then there was the helicopter pilot that wanted to be a part of it. And my anesthesiologist and two pediatricians and my obstetrician and the nurse and my husband and all of this kind of stuff. So he delivers Lily and this other lady had come in and she was working on her fifth kid. And he just tells me, just hang on a second. Don't push. I'm going to go deliver this other baby. And then I'll come back. Because most twins, they're born one, two minutes apart. Right. Well, Lily and Hannah were born 18 minutes apart. So Hannah came into the world at 238. And she weighed two pounds, four ounces, and was 14 and a half inches long. So tiny little things. Wow. Mm -hmm. They um, spent the next four months at Cook's Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth. Lily had a lot of complications. She had a grade four brain bleed um, where a vessel burst in her brain, which caused her to have hydrocephalus. They ended up doing her first brain surgery on her when she was 10 days old. She weighed one pound, 10 ounces. It's astounding to me. Like her veins were the size of a human hair. How do you do that? Yeah. Like, how do you do surgery on somebody whose heart is the size of your thumbnail? Like, I just don't understand.
1: No, it's it. amazing. Um,
4: she ended up with, uh, before it was all said and done, two brain surgeries, a heart surgery, surgery on her stomach and surgery on her ears before she was two. And then Hannah had two collapsed lungs. She was probably the sicker of the two. She was the only one that the doctor came in and said, we're going to try this, and if it doesn't work,
6: yeah, that's that. Yeah.
4: So that was, a, that was a hard day, and that was the day that I went into one of the pumping rooms there and hit my knees and said, Lord, if you take one, just take them both, because mm. I, can't just, I can't do that. And he was gracious to me and yeah. let me to bring them both home.
1: And lastly, here's an emotional moment from Billy Harvey. I sat down with the cast of Mamma Mia, and it was supposed to be kind of a lighthearted show to where they would each pick their favorite ABBA song from the musical. Well, in talking to Billy, I thought I had a pretty good observation that Billy, in real life, was starting to mirror her character, Donna, from Mamma Mia. You know, Billy not only starred in Mamma Mia, she was also set designer for it, technical director and she was also trying to get a children's show going at the same time and i just wanted to get billy's reaction to my observation and that's when a flood of emotion came over billy you see i didn't realize the connection that billy had already made between the character donna sheridan and her mother who had passed away only a few short years ago i just thought about this as right before you guys came in um on the similarities between you and Donna now, because uh, we see Donna, she's she's just so haggard, she's just so beaten down with life at the moment. And now I see you up here spending all the time you're spending. You're building these sets. And yesterday you're like, Don't come near me, I stink, you know. And and so I can't help but draw that similarity between you and your character. You're kind of morphing into that just because you're so active. You're not only starring in the show, you're set designer mm-hmm. for the show, which your set is starting to look amazing. Thank I know you. you've got a few more flourishes. Yes. So just talk about that observation. Are you becoming Donna?
12: Um, honestly. <laughs> And Jonathan can totally agree. Donna is my mom. Oh, okay. Um, sorry. My mom was the mom who taught me that I it, men are wonderful yeah. to have in your life, but you need to be prepared to not have to rely on one. So I was taught how to change my own tire, how to change my own oil. Wow. Uh, I, I was always a hard worker. I always have done physical labor yeah. uh, my whole life. So Donna is my mom. Even My parents were even divorced for a period of time. It was a crazy story. And they got <laughs> remarried like you know later on um, because they really loved each other, which was amazing. Um, so Donna is my mom. And so when I'm playing her, I just think about everything she went through why she's taught me, Yeah, because it's all the same, you know, mindset.
1: Amazing. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, there you have it. There's my top 21 moments from Waxing Lyrically, the podcast. I've enjoyed starting this podcast and bringing it to you. Please share it with your friends. And let's go from 3,000 to 5,000 downloads in, let's say, six months, half the time, okay? Does that sound like a deal? You know, I call this my top 20, but really, it's the wonderful guests that I've had on. They are the tops. They're the Mona Lisa. (laughs) Now I'm going to turn it over to Chris Henry and Larry Mathis to close things out. It only seems fitting to do that.
3: You know, Larry, you usually end a cast meeting with us all putting our hand in the middle and saying a particular quote. Yeah. So I'd like to end this podcast with that quote. With that quote. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, And by the way, that quote comes from something I learned in high school and is done at high schools all over this nation. It's uh, the official motto of the uh, International Thespian Society. The quote is Act well your part, for there all the honor lies.
13: You're the top. Mm-hmm. You're the Coliseum. You're the top. Ha, 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 ha. You're the Live Museum. You're the melody. From a symphony by Strauss. Uh-huh. You're a Of the Shakespeare sonnet. You're Mickey Mouse. Well, sign in, Minnie. You're the Nile. Real snaky, huh? You're the Tower of Pisa. Very large in Naples. You're the smile on the Mona Lisa.
4: I'm a worthless check, a total
13: wreck, a flop. Not so, but, but if baby, I'm, if maybe, I'm the father. You're
0: the top. Thanks for tuning in to Waxing Lyrically. If you enjoyed today's show, please take time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And above all, please share it with a friend. This is your friendly announcer, Kurt Schneider, thanking you for your investment in live theater. Goodbye for now.
13: But
8: if this ditty is not so pretty, at least it is i tell you how great you are Carry on
7: You're the top
13: You're from Hogan's Alley
7: You're the Eiffel
6: Tower
13: You're a grand finale You're the tops You're an April shower
6: You're the leading men In the
8: seasons a turn of a You're sweet
13: to say so There's no one finer really You're dressed in China And why well, you boo you, babe
4: Now sleep, oh cool
13: Are we? You're as right Little me, huh? As the Magna Carta Gee, you're a knight Cum laude, huh? Eh? Of the good Queen's garden Oh, I'm thrilled mm-hmm. I'm a case of gout uh-huh. A me without a bop No, don't. You? I'm a turkey you just can't fix up
8: I'm an option that no one picks up
13: But and if, baby, maybe, I'm, I'm the bottom You're the, the top. top You're a Met soprano You're a know. Baby, if I'm
3: the bottom, you're the top.